0: Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study. We thank you for being with us. My name is Rick Burgess, and we are coming to you uh, from the Rick and Bubba studios. I'm co-host of the Rick and Bubba radio show. and You can uh, find out all the details about that at rickandbubba.com, all the different ways you can get the show now. Uh, that's my day job, uh, but also director for themanchurch.com. That is a men's discipleship strategy. Uh, it's a hub for you to, to go there and get all the resources you would need. It really is a men's discipleship. Strategy that is turnkey for if you're in leadership with men's ministry in and around your church, or you'd like to suggest that if you're, you know, like unfortunately, a lot of churches you do not have a men's ministry that has a game plan or is thriving. Uh, we worked on that uh, in in the local church for seven years, putting all this together. You can find the entire strategy at the. ManChurch.com. We are excited uh, that our fourth uh, 40-week curriculum will be coming out in May, and uh, we'll tell you more about that when it gets here. We have three of those already available for you and all sorts of other resources for men. Uh, including really this resource uh, because I know some uh, women also watch this particular Bible study could be for men or women but it is designed for men it's our latest individual resource our curriculum are designed for small groups but for individual men uh, released uh, a 31 day devotional Uh, You know, with Father's Day coming up this is a great idea for this summer we'll give you an opportunity maybe to get a signed copy for dad Uh, be uh, paying attention for that opportunity to come out it's called transform or you can get one for your yourself. Uh, 31-day devotional, Embracing the Death of Self and the Power of God. 31 verses in Scripture. I was honored to be asked to take on the commentary uh, that is there for you daily. If you don't have that, you can get that at themanchurch.com. It's also available now on Amazon if you would prefer to do it that way. Uh, Some things coming up. Our our strategy features the curriculum. That's our high equipping, but it also features high challenge, uh, which Frankly, men's ministry is done for a long time. We just were leaving out the equipping. But the high challenge is when our, our our speakers go out and our teachers, and they they're with men for gatherings. And we've got a few of those gatherings coming up. Uh, I'm honored to be going to Phoenix City, Alabama, Somerville Baptist Church on May the sixth. I'll be there for their man church. Looking forward to speaking to those men. Uh, and then coming up uh, also on May the twentieth, Rich Wingo. It'll be a breakfast. This is a Saturday morning gathering of men. At one of our churches that uh, they're now in, I think, year three Uh, of the Men's Discipleship Strategy. This is their next gathering before they go back into the small groups, and Rich Wingo will be at West Mobile Baptist Church in Mobile, Alabama. If you'd like to find out where all these different uh, opportunities are, you can simply go to themanchurch.com, and you look under events, and you can find a man church near you. If a church is doing a man church, they are doing the curriculum. You can plug into one of the small groups, uh, and that would be great. This particular Bible study uh, is walking through the book of Revelation, now, Now, if you're joining us in the room for the first time, welcome. Uh, if you're joining us via YouTube, our podcast archives, uh, we welcome you as well. If you're thinking, uh, how long have you been in the Revelation? Well, we're in chapter 9 today. If you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to go through verses 1 through 12 uh, in chapter 9 today. But you may be thinking, okay, I am now eight chapters behind. If you would like to go and get the archives of the studies you've missed in the Revelation, or any of the over 300 Bible studies we have archived for you, go to themanchurch.com. You'll see a media button. Click on that. Uh, there'll be a drop-down menu. If you want to watch uh, the archive, click on watch. If you just want to listen to it while you're driving, uh, click on listen, and you'll see those archives there And search to the one that you need. So let's open up and a word of prayer, and let's jump into the Revelation chapter 9. Lord, thank you for today. As uh, you, you have not been silent, you, you are not keeping from us, uh, you know, what is going to happen. Uh, and, and if we keep delaying repentance, you are loving enough to show us that your wrath uh, is coming. Uh, we, we are thankful that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, went to the cross and took your wrath for all who repent and desire to be redeemed. But for those who reject that covering... That protection from your perfect, holy, and divine wrath, uh, unfortunately, will be in its way when you have ended the age of grace, and now you are destroying heaven and earth and replacing it with a new heaven and a new earth, and you are eradicating all those who rebel against you and all sin from this earth. Uh, Lord, I pray that there are none who are seeing this or hearing this that are yet to repent, that they'll go another day without repenting and turning from their sin and turning to the prote- protection that you provide for us and your son Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's go to Revelation 9. What's going on here? So we have we have gone through um, a, 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 the, the four horsemen. That's been handed out. Uh, we're now uh, we're in the trumpets, and we've had uh, we've had four trumpets that have already been blown. And uh, uh, there, there's a lot that has been going on. Uh, and so now, this as we talk about, as God's wrath begins to pour out uh, on the earth, it is going to increase in intensity. Now. You are going to see uh, how gracious our God is, and he is a God of, of grace and mercy, and he is a God who is slow to anger, but as we've tried to learn in this Bible study, slow to anger doesn't mean never to anger. Uh, and it also, uh, grace and mercy is available for a time, and you're going to see our gracious God, even through the great tribulation, still offering until until we get to the final Part of this still offering an opportunity for people to repent, uh, if they will, and 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 watching what uh, these people are going through uh, again. Please don't let this be your plan. So we're going to get to the fifth angel now of the, the special angels, uh, and we're going to get the 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 for the fifth trumpet and what that's going to look like. Now let's first of all do some background on what's going on in verses one through twelve. We're going to be dealing. Uh, with Satan himself in, in Revelation 9 and throughout uh, the Revelation from here going forward. So Satan has been waging a, a cosmic war. Uh, this started in the garden. That, that that was Satan's first attack. So Satan is allowed to come into the garden, uh, and, and he is allowed to test Adam and Eve, and as we know, sadly, they failed the test. So when that happened, Uh, Satan then takes control uh, of of the earth, and then Jesus, of course, goes to the cross uh, to take the deed back and place it in the proper ownership, and that is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and then he will restore that back uh, to what was always intended. But since that first attack and the fall and God's plan of redemption begins, Satan has been waging this cosmic war, turning earth into uh, the main battleground, and the war is ultimately against God. Remember the first sin of Lucifer. And, And understand, I know sometimes this gets... The way we talk about uh, Satan and the devil, you 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 got got to realize what we're really saying because it leads to one of these questions that really is elementary. But I understand it if you're someone that this is all new to you, you. You think to yourself, why in the world did God ever create the devil? Well, he didn't. He created Lucifer. Uh, who was the, the highest-ranking angel. He is a created being by God, but he wasn't created the devil. He wasn't created Satan. He became that. Uh, and he became that when he attempted to rebel and overthrow, remove God from from the, the throne. He desired to be worshipped like God, and he got a third of the angels and, and went for the overthrow, which they lost, and, and he was cast down onto the earth, which we'll talk about quite a bit. So that's when he became Satan and he's the devil because he's our accuser. That's what that means. He's he be, he became the devil. The devil accuses us and you'll see that he continues to do that before God. And of course he became Satan because he rebelled against God. So don't ever get into this. Well, God created uh, Satan and the devil. No, he created Lucifer who became Satan and the devil. So so remember that that the war is against God. That Satan is waging with one third of of, of the angels who also rebelled. And we're going to talk about some of them today. Uh, that have uh, that it's going to be a gruesome scene. But he also wages that war against God's holy angels. We see this, and the war is also also raging against the redeemed. And you say, "Well, what do you mean he can't?" No, you're right. He can't. He can't take away your justification if you truly been justified. But he can can harass the fool out of you. Uh, and also cause you to keep others from repenting, or to cause you to not be very effective at all, to to trip up your uh, call to to make disciples because you can't take it, uh, or to cause you to fall back into sin where you then become less effective. So God promised a Savior who would come, uh, and of course that's right out of the gate right after the fall, and destroy Satan and deliver us from his power. Uh, so Satan did counter uh, and and he, he got demons who who, who were sent um, to the earth when he knew that he saw that God because God said it in Genesis three fifteen when when Satan not fully understanding because he's not God you know this is not you know, our my pastor talked about this Sunday and we need to talk about this a lot this is not Star Wars. This yin and yang, Eastern mysticism garbage, okay? Where, you know, you're either with the light, the, the light or you're with the dark, but they're equal. The force, this is, that's garbage, okay? That's not, that's not Scripture. It might be fun to watch as a TV show, but it's garbage. What we have is God created Lucifer, and Lucifer is a big drop-off from God, okay? Now, look, he's not a homecoming game for us, and he's not a homecoming game for the angels. Uh, even you'll see in Jude... Where, where Michael, the archangel, who's battling Satan for the body of Moses because he knows the people will worship it if they can find it, and he wants to find it and let the people know where it is so they'll worship it like an idol. and And, and Michael says, I fought against Satan, but guess who came to win the battle for him? Jesus. Okay? Now, when Jesus shows up, you know, it's over. So you don't want to go out there and take him on without Jesus, because he's not a homecoming game. But but God is not equal. I mean, Lucifer is not equal to God, and he's just the bad side of God. That's hogwash. And anybody that's teaching you that, I'd leave that church. Okay, uh, that that is that is that is not accurate. But. The, the, the he is allowed to test us and refine us. He was even allowed to test Jesus, which we'll talk about. Uh, so what, what, what Satan did in Genesis six, he said, i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to counter this God, man thing that God's working on. And I'm going to create my own. And he had demons that were sent to cohabitate with human women. We talked about that in our study of Genesis. Remember we did Genesis first. So you'd understand some of these references in the revelation. And, and so, when, when these demons cohabitated with human w- women trying to produce a hybrid instead of, a, instead of a god man, kind of a demon human, uh, race, um, so, the, so who, who you know the the so the true God man could maybe not atone for us. This happens in Genesis six one four. It, it it's I mean he doesn't pull it off, but this is what he's trying to do. Well, when God sees this, he responds by destroying them and all the sinful human race at that time. We talked about that in Genesis six. This was that catastrophic flood, which is the single greatest catastrophic event the Earth has seen. So far, Now, what we're about to see now and as we move to it, it will pale in comparison to what God does this final time. Remember, God's promise in the rainbow, which you know has now been used to blaspheme God, God's promise in the rainbow was that he would not destroy it this way again. Not that he's not going to destroy it because he is. As we've said in here, if you're worried about man-made global warming, don't you worry. Uh, God has not allowed us to burn the earth up. He saved that for himself. He's going to burn it up. So, uh, so, so, so uh, hang on to that. So, so he responds with this total destruction. We get back down to eight people. That was one of the things I was talking with a guy one time I was trying to help out. He, he had drifted into a, um, a Bible study. That actually one of my sons had found, and when he showed it to me and we listened to it, I said, hey, you need to get rid of this. This is universalism. And, of course, he appreciated that, and he said, hey, sorry about that. I was kind of being drawn in. And, and in that universalism, what they're trying to convince you is that God loves us so much, and he's always been so in love with us, ain't none of us going to hell. Okay? Once Jesus went to the cross, you don't have to repent. You don't have to do anything. God's decided to forgive everybody. And everybody's going to heaven and all this kind of stuff. And the guy was talking to me about it, and I was about to correct him. It was a different guy. wasn't my son. And he said, you know, it's, it's so great. I said, you know, this reminds you in this, in this, um, uh, in this podcast um, to, that, you know, really ultimately we have to remember that ultimately above everything else, God loves us. And I said, yeah, well, there's no doubt that, you know, God loves us. He's shown that he does love us. Well, you know, we have to go back and remember that ultimately the whole plan all along for God, if you look back through history, is that is God's love for us. I said, you mean human beings? He said, yeah. I said, well, you know, except for in Genesis 6 when he killed everybody but eight people. He killed everybody but eight people. And the guy just sits there and looks at me. I said, nobody left but eight. And he was like, well— I said, so, so let's not forget the, the redemption part in all this. You know, it, 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 we're, we're, God is not enamored with us. I want you to be real careful. He's not worshiping us, and, and nothing about him needs to change. We're the ones who need to change, okay? We don't make him any greater. Uh, we need him. He certainly doesn't need us, just like what's going on right here. If I tell God I'm not doing this, I'm not going to go out and make disciples. I'm not going to go out and disciple men. I'm not going to do that. I know you want me to do it. Don't want to. You know He'd say, fine, I'll just do it with somebody else. He's not sitting there going, well, I guess if Rick doesn't do it, I don't know how this is going to get done. So, so we got to be real careful of elevating ourselves that God is so enamored with us that he just doesn't really care what we do. He's holy. We are not. We don't make him any – we need him. And, and he makes us something that he's comfortable with through the redemption and being made fully righteous through Jesus, we are not allowed to make him something we're more comfortable with. That's not how this works. Uh, so, so keep that in mind. So God does destroy everybody but eight, and then Satan continues this plan. Where do we see him attack somebody else? Job. You know he's, all, he's always attacking, and, and this reveals his hatred for what? What do we find out about Job? Job. He he was considered to be in his his time to be blameless and upright compared to all the other people. And you know what Satan said? Well, that's the one I want then. I can't stand godly people. I, I want a shot at him now. Some of some of you may not like this. Back to this version of God that you try to create that you're more comfortable with versus repenting and let him make you something you're more comfortable with. Satan is not trapped in hell somewhere. Satan still has access to the heavenly realm and can stand before God apparently. Because it says that, it's, that Satan is standing before God, and God's at, talking to Satan, what's been going on? Well, I've been going in and out from the earth, meaning he can go and he can come back. I've been going in and out, and I've been checking things out, and God says, what well, do you think about Job? God starts that conversation. And then, of course, Satan says, well, well, of course he loves you. You give him everything he wants. He's, he's, he's got more wealth than he could ever imagine. He's got ten beautiful children. He's got, he's got, he's got land. He's got standing. He's got it all. You, you, ta- you allow me to take that from him, he'll turn on you. And God doesn't say, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. He says, okay. Take, uh, here's what he-. But then God says what? Here's what you can and can't do. He sets the boundaries. Okay, by the way, and, and keep in mind, I've gone through the, the, the earthly death of one child. Satan was allowed to kill all Job's children, ten of them. Apparently by weather. So, so it, when, when when you look at all that, you're like, wow. So there there's still there's still a lot going on in the spiritual realm. There is. That's why I don't need UFOs and Bigfoot. We got all we can stand in scriptures. Okay, <laughs> so so we know that Job proved proved that 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 he was truly God's. Okay. And here's another thing you prove that if, if, if you don't leave God, if you're redeemed and you don't leave him, Satan might can harass you. He might can bother you, but he can't take you. okay And so so that's what God showed us clearly in that. He can accuse, he can harass, but if you're his, he can't have you. And God God made that very clear. Let's talk about how many times Satan has assaulted Israel. Good, gracious. I mean, he hates Israel, and uh, he's lured them into disobedience, and uh, and, and also he, he he calls, you know, when God has to discipline his people, and it happens all the time. How many times in the Old Testament do you read, and they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? How many times you go, know, again? Why, how, why do you think that happened? Satan. Satan pulls them away again. So you better be careful. Don't leave the authority of Jesus. I'll tell you looking at you right now, and you may think less of me, but it's just the truth. If I step out of the authority of Jesus and say, I think I'll go my own way, I'm capable of doing anything. Anything. But if I keep my arms wrapped around the waist of Jesus and bury my head in his chest and say, I'm not letting you go. You don't let me go. He might can harass me, but he can't have me. And and, and Jesus is going to be stronger than him. But if you decide not to abide in Jesus and kind of go your own way, well, good luck to you. And you saw this with Israel. Satan has even fought against Jesus in the wilderness. I mean, you you he 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 also harassed Jesus how? Through the Jewish leaders. He he also he he attacked those nearest to Jesus. What about this? Can you imagine being this? You're Peter, and you're you're the leader, and you're all in, and nobody's as in as you are. And so Satan picks up on that. Oh, I understand you got one that thinks he's more in than any of them that he said he'll go to his death with you. We'll see. And then Jesus turns to Peter and says, "What? Satan has asked my father to sift you. And I'm praying for you. Praying for me. How about don't let it happen?" <laughs> and and you know what it is? It's refinement. And you know what? Peter failed. But but he didn't he, he did but he finished well, you know once Peter got the Holy Spirit now there was no more denying Jesus and he was ready I mean he t- he was ready to take on anybody who was against the church, so he he was redeemed by Jesus and you know what's so incredible about Peter and we we, t- we studied First Peter and Second Peter if you want to go check those I love the fact that Peter was the only one that Jesus also let him know what was coming. You know, Paul thinks Jesus is coming back in his day. Peter never thought that, because he knew he wasn't, because he'd already been told by Jesus he's going to be martyred. And you get in the second Peter, what does he tell him? Jesus says, "Let me know I'm about to go on in." So he's getting him ready. So, so, but Peter was 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 what? He didn't lose his opportunity to ever serve Jesus again just because he messed up. Jesus reconciled himself to him. He redeemed him. He gave him the Holy Spirit. And that's the Peter that we're supposed to follow. You know why? Because we have the Holy Spirit, or we're supposed to. Don't you start comparing yourself to Peter before the Holy Spirit, and, well, you know, Peter denied Jesus three times. He didn't after Pentecost. And you're supposed to be part of the church, so you're supposed to have the Holy Spirit that makes those guys look a lot different. They're the guys that's turned the world upside down. My wife said the other day to me, we were talking about the state of our country and sometimes the state of the, of the Western church, and she said, you know, And you do a men's ministry, she goes. You know what would be a pretty good message for men to hear? These men turned the world upside down, and we've let it be turned right side up again. Maybe we need to go back, turn it back upside down again. So, uh, so that's so you're seeing this battle that continues on. Satan entered Judas, who betrayed Jesus, and you know who the target for Satan right now is? The church. The church is the target. Uh, and and if you don't believe that, look at the establishment of the church. We get two people killed by God right out of the gate, Ananias and Sapphira. So Satan goes to Ananias and says, "Hey, I'm gonna want y'all put together this scheme. Everybody rethinks a lot of Barnabas because he gave all the land that he sold to the church, and I know y'all want to get those same accolades and look like you're real sacrificial. But how about this? Don't don't give it all to the church, but pretend you did." So everybody can just clap at how sacrificial y'all are. But see, what, 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 what Ananias didn't count on is that Peter has the Holy Spirit, and God told Peter through the Holy Spirit, hey, these two are, are scams. And those of us that have wives, if you're married, it says with his wife's knowledge, Ananias put together this scheme being tricked by Satan. As soon as he walks into the church, Peter says, hey, you need to, you need to own this. I can't believe you claim to be a member of the church and have the Holy Spirit and do this and not come under conviction. And Ananias won't let it go. He he won't repent. He stays with it. And God kills him. Sapphira shows up three hours later. Of course, she's late. Shows up three hours later, okay? And and nobody says to her, hey, if Peter asks you about this land, you got to come clean. She goes in there, sticks to the same story. God kills her too. So think about that. Here's a husband that taught his wife to sin, and it cost both of them. And, uh, and so Satan was in the middle of that, and you see him continue. When you see perpetual, deliberate, unrepentant sin all throughout the church, that's Satan's war still going on. And he just, does it, he just does it by individual people, trying to break down, the take away the purity of the church. Because when the church isn't pure, God doesn't fill dirty cups. And, uh, and so he's gotten where we don't have any stomach for church discipline. You know, Paul takes this on in 1 Corinthians. He's like, hey, guys, you're, you're letting this guy just blaspheme God, and you're not dealing with him. Not only do you not care about the church, you don't care about him. If you turn him over to Satan, uh, you know, and, and he realizes what, what his sin is doing in his life, he might actually repent. But as long as y'all keep patting him on the back, say it's no big deal, you've, you, now you've defiled the church, and you're also not loving this guy. Church discipline is nauseating. But it's necessary. And, and and so you see this going on under attack right now, mainly through false teachers, mainly through unbelievers mixing themselves in with the church and, 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 and not being called to repentance or refusing to repent, compromising the purity of the church. So this is a war that's not new. But now let's look in Revelation 9. Now in the future, Satan is going to serve God's purpose, that's always the thing that, that he misses. By being permitted to launch another deadly assault against the human race. And this is an ugly one in the future. This will be at the sound of the fifth trumpet. Trumpet The first four trumpets, no doubt destructive. The remaining will be worse. So remember what was just said when we left last week at the end of eight. The eagle flying up in the sun, which is an angelic uh, uh, being, woe, 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 three woes to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. And here comes woe number one, and that's the fifth trumpet. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, verse one, and I saw a star fallen, fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Look at verse two. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. So uh, uh, another uh, elite angel, uh, there's going to be one last opportunity to repent before the rising crescendo of divine judgment reaches its apex. The final three blast of God's holy anger and, uh, you see here this elite angel blows his trumpet and a star. Now, this is not inanimate like what we saw when the meteors and the asteroids and all that was hitting the earth. This is, these are not celestial falling from the heavens. Um, it, it's not celestial matter. Uh, it, 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 if you look at uh, you know, Genesis six thirteen, also uh, you can look at 8, 8, uh, and then also verse 10 of 8. This is an angelic being. Uh, Job also talks about Satan in Job 38:7 about him falling to earth. Um, now there are some people in, in the commentaries that don't believe this is Satan. I, I don't think their their point of view stands up real good on the things I'm about to tell you. but they're only the only thing that makes them push back is they they can't imagine that God would give the keys to this pit to Satan. But God's in control. I mean, he, he, he's going to take it back, and that Jesus ultimately will have this. But this is being allowed. So some say it's just a random angel. Uh, others say it's more likely this is Satan himself, based on the scriptures I'm going to give you that support that. So um, if you look at Isaiah uh, 14, 12 through 15. So if you have your Bible, turn over to Isaiah, uh, and you're going to see some things from Isaiah and others, I've got others that I'll share with you, it it really points to the way this is being described by John, the way he's seeing it. It sounds an awful lot like other scriptures uh, when we're talking about Satan. Look at verse 12 of Isaiah 14. How you have fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, and... you who laid the nations low, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, which, of course, when you see this word in Scripture, we've talked this before, all this meant to the Hebrew people this is where they thought people went who were dead. This was the place of the dead, and at one time they thought it featured Hades, but it, for the condemned. But it also featured paradise for those who had died, uh, but were you know had, had been deemed righteous by God as following His law. This is that scene that you see when Jesus does the parable of Lazarus the beggar and the rich man. And he says there's, a, there's a, a chasm between them, and he can see Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham, and apparently Lazarus can see him because there's a conversation that takes place. This is what they would be called Shehol, and they would say, or Shehol in the Hebrew, this is the place of the dead. But he says that you were that you were brought down there to the far reaches of the pit. Hang on to that. Uh, uh, and so when you, when you look at other places in the Bible, uh, Luke 10:18, what did Jesus say? I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Ezekiel 28:12 uh, describes Satan Lucifer as being cast down out of heaven. So this isn't his original rebellion that we're seeing here. Uh, he and a third of the angels when they rebelled, uh, you know, were banished. But Satan is allowed to retain access to God's presence. I just told you about that in Job, where he goes to constantly, what, accuse us. But there, even though this these descriptions we're reading is Satan's first rebellion, but the way he was cast out of heaven looks an awful lot like this. And John's seeing this when he's getting an opportunity that God's allowing to wage war on us again. And so if he's in the presence of God— and God says, I tell you what, go open that pit. I allow you to do that. And, and, and what John sees, he, he he does not it's not it is not a star, it's not a literal star like being something, you know, with a matter inanimate. This is this is an angelic uh scene he sees. So most people believe the way he's seeing this and the fact that he goes over to let these demons out, that it's Satan himself. So but but I will tell you that's up for debate, but it, it does make a lot of sense. So during the tribulation, he and his demon hosts will unsuccessfully battle Michael and the holy angels. They'll, they'll be defeated, and at that point will be permanently cast down to earth, but we'll see that in the future in Revelation, uh, Revelation 12, if you want to make a note of that. We'll study it when we get there, 7 through 9. Satan is going to seek to use all of the demonic hosts that are already on earth, so they're in, and then from those that are incarcerated in the abyss, the, 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 the bottomless pit. Seven times in the Revelation, uh, and, and, and also it, it mentions, too, that it will be the future final home of Satan and his demons, this pit of the abyss, bottomless pit, uh, is mentioned. Now, it, it'll be his final resting place when you get to Revelation 20, but we're not there yet, okay? But right now, certain demons are being held captive there. Uh, Because we have demons that are still moving uh, uh, around the earth, but they were demons that were so vile and so awful that God has punished them and imprisoned them. They're not allowed to run around on the earth yet, but in the great tribulation, he's going to turn them out. Okay? Okay. So, But they're there now, and, and, and if you don't believe that, remember our study of Peter? Stay with me. I know some of this gets hard. 2 Peter chapter 2. Do you remember our study of Peter? And this is that much debated commentary from Peter uh, in, in 2 and 3, but let's go to what he says in 2 first. Second uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell. Now, the word hell here is what we use. He, really, when Peter wrote this, because it's in Greek, he uses some Greek mythology of the place of the evil and the dead and the punished. Uh, it's Tartarus, T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S. So that's the, the word he actually used. But when the translator in the English Standard Version went to English, they said it would be what we call hell. But he's trying to use an image, meaning they were put somewhere that is not the final hell in some sort of prison. And in Greek mythology, they were accustomed to this analogy, so they knew what he was talking about. And he says, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept, look, until the judgment. Uh, so, and, and, and we'll talk more about what happens in three here in a minute. So these demons are the most wicked They're the most vile, they're the most perverted of all the fallen angels. Jude describes them. Let's flip over to that. Jude uh, is the book right before the Revelation, okay? It's right before the Revelation, last book. Let's look at Jude. Jude talks about them in verse 6 and 7. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in. Now, this is where we're going to have a little bit of issue. Jude describes it, Paul, I mean, Peter says they're in chains until the judgment. Jude says they're in eternal chains. So we got some issues there. We'll talk about that. All right. But he says in 6 and 7, he says um, they, they have been kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment, that may correct it right there, of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So most commentators say, based on what we've heard from Isaiah, based on what we've heard from Ezekiel, based on what we've heard from Jesus, based on what we heard from Peter, based on what we heard from Jude, there's strong indication that these are angels that have been in prison, and they are likely, I understand that Jude gives us a little bit of eternal chains issue there, but likely they're the ones who cohabitated with human women and created the Nephilim, and God destroyed them and said, y'all are so wicked, y'all are so perverted, I'm not going to have this, I'm killing everybody but eight, and I'm putting y'all in these chains, and there is an opportunity for them to have one last run at us not us, the unrepented, uh, to run at the the world right now on what John's seeing. That makes the most sense, but that eternal thing that Jude says threw some commentators off, but if you look, he kind of corrects and says, eternal change till the judgment. Well, they say, well, somebody says eternal. I think we may be nitpicking a little bit there, but no matter who these demons are, they have been imprisoned, and Satan has been allowed to let them out. That's really all you need to know. Uh, it's interesting to try to point, pinpoint who they are, but uh, that's really all we need to know. So look now at 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3. I said 2 Peter 3. I meant 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3, when we study that, you remember that part when when Peter is talking about that when Jesus has gone to the cross and he has defeated our sin and he goes and he stands before these um, these demons? Uh, and we're doing this in uh three eighteen through twenty. So li- listen to this. For Christ also suffered once for sins, for sins the right the, the righteous for the unrighteous, but he that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. So Peter's telling us that these this is back to that Genesis six, while the ark was being prepared and in, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. What he is saying is that when Jesus defeated our sin on the cross, And now any attempt Satan had to produce his own God-man had been defeated. Jesus goes and stands in front of these demons who are in prison when they tried to create their own supernatural human people that God tried to do with demons. He's standing there in front of them and said, I beat you. Now it's eternal damnation for y'all. Any shot to overthrow God and stop his plan of redemption, you didn't get it done. We did it. Okay, and now anyone who repents... And 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 desires to be forgiven. I will be forgiven. I'm the only God man there's ever been. You didn't do it, and I'm here to tell you it's done. So many believe that uh, that's what's about to happen here. Is these very demons that are not allowed to roam the earth are about to be allowed to roam the earth, and uh, so um, the abyss is is um, is so sad. In such a terrible place to be, think about when Jesus in Luke chapter 8, verse 31. Do you remember when the demons began to talk to him? And remember, those of you that think all you got to do is just believe that Jesus existed, these demons know everything about Jesus. They know more about Jesus than the disciples do. The disciples are still confused, the demons aren't. And what did they beg Jesus not to do? Don't send us to the abyss. Please don't send us there. So they know he can. And what does he do? He puts them in those pigs, and the pigs run off the mountain into the water. But they beg him, "Don't put us in the abyss." Well, these demons have been in the abyss for a very, very long time, and uh, and they're going to be allowed uh, to to come out and do things that um, that are horrible, and and whatever it is, and however you figure it out, it's going to be bad. John Phillips said this. He said, if you want to kind of figure out what John is seeing here and what God is about to allow to happen in the Great Tribulation, he said, wherever you live, I want you to picture the worst penitentiaries that you have, the worst. I want you to think about whatever penitentiaries we have where the most heinous, vicious, dark, perverted, murderous people are being held, and all of a sudden they went and just opened up the penitentiary and said, y'all go do what you want to do, and turned them out. That's what's about to happen. But it's worse because they're supernatural evil beings. And uh, Satan gets to release his most diabolical agents to bring society to the footstool of the beast. Smoke goes up. The smoke in, in heaven is holy. The smoke from the abyss represents judgment. You go, Rick, where did you get that smoke also represents judgment? I'm glad you asked. Revelation 14, 11 will tell us that when we go forward. 18, 9 will tell us that. Uh, verse 18 will tell us that. Uh, Revelation 19, 3 will tell us that. Genesis 19 has already told us that. Isaiah 34 10 has already told us that. And Joel 2 uh, verse 30 also tells us that. Did y'all get all those? Genesis 19:28, Isaiah 34:10, Joel 2:30, and then those other references we're going to get to in our actual study. Hell has belched forth from the abyss to pollute the world, and now the power will be unleashed. Look at 3 through 6. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth, remember I already prepared you for that last week, or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months but not kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. So these are demons. They are not insects. So don't think that, and I'll tell you why there's no way that stands. Demons resembling locusts uh, to plague the earth. The locusts were associated with, with John with mass destruction. But these are not bugs; they are demons bringing a swarm of destruction. And the locust analogy is symbolizing that that when he sees that it's an uncountable number, and, and 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 their ability for massive destruction is mind boggling to him. Three times uh, he talks about that they've been given power to inflict pain, and is compared to that of a scorpion. Now remember. And and that that already tells you that they're not locusts. Locusts don't have stinging capability. He said they they look like locusts, and they they have the ability to inflict pain. Well, he thinks, what has the ability to – of inflict pain like I'm seeing, and he's like a scorpion stinging. It was like a, a scorpion's just stinging over and over again. And he said, I'm seeing this. He said, and, and the combination of a locust and a scorpion symbolizes they have the ability to cause physical destruction to the environment, but they also have the ability to kill and sting. They have the ability to do both. That's why he's saying locust scorpion. This is a, a, a demon infestation. And uh, but once again, what do we see? Limits were placed on them; they could not, they couldn't harm the green grass and the plant life. Again, that's not locusts; they would do it, okay? Uh, and 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 there's been enough time from the last trumpet that either green grass has grown back, but or as he said before, uh, you know, certain places uh, on Earth, grass gets green at different times of 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 the seasons. But we know that. Um, that the humans not sealed. Now, who is that? They're, they're not sealed. So God says you can't kill them. You can torture them for five months, and you can't go after the green grass. You can't go after the green plants. And he says, and any of the ones you can harm are the ones that don't have my seal. Well, we know that's the 144,000 evangelists. We know that. But also, it's everybody who's been redeemed. If you If you're redeemed during this time, and you were not originally redeemed in the church age, but you waited to the tribulation to confess and repent, what this means is you've now been protected to a certain extent if you weren't killed instantly. So if you've survived this, he's now going to protect you from these demons on what they can and cannot do to you. And the seal marks them as personally belonging to God. These are the overcomers that Jesus talks about. Remember, what did He say? Jesus said to the overcomer, and He's listed all these things to the letter letters to the churches. And one of the things He said is what overcomers will receive the name of God. They're overcomers. They're persevering through this, and they're protecting. uh, They're being protected from the forces of hell. But even the unredeemed get some sort of grace because they can't be killed, but they can be tortured for five months. He's given them five months to repent. And, and Satan wants them to die with no repentance, and God counters that. And and the word that, that, that he's using here is torment. That means it's really bad pain that they're going through. And it says they're going to want to die, but he doesn't let them die. They want to die, which is what Satan wants. I hope you die because you haven't repented yet. And God said, no, I'm not going to let you die. You're going to want to die. It's that bad. I'm trying to get you to repent. Anything that we are allowed to go through that is difficult, God's teaching something. And, and and we have to learn. It may be that you need to repent. It may mean that something in you needs to be refined. Uh, Paul tells us, we'll get to in a minute, that he needed to be humbled. Uh, whatever the case is, God is not, this this pain and suffering that we go through, that God allows, these are not random events. God's teaching something, and what I tell people all the time when they talk to Sherry and me about pain and suffering, you know what I say? Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Good gracious don't go through something like this and remain the same. You know? Hey, say, say to the great I am, I got it. I got it. I, I, I made those adjustments. I learned. I got stronger. I'm more steadfast, whatever. Uh, and then verse 6, it's so bad Men will wish they were dead. It's over. I mean, you, the, the earth is going away. And, and, the, and, and you know one thing that God is taking away in all this, and we're guilty of it today, brothers and sisters who may be watching. We're guilty of it today. Let me tell you what God took away. There'll be no way for you to make heaven on earth now. That's what we try to do, don't we? We try so hard to make heaven on earth. And we let all these idols come into our life that we think give us more joy and more happiness than just being right under the authority of God. And every time we try to make heaven on earth and something bad happens, we act like we're surprised. You're never going to make heaven on earth. You can have some pretty good runs. I've had some good runs. But what you're going to see here is the environment that has been created now, it'll be impossible to do it. So what does that mean? You're focusing on one thing. I want this to end. You're focusing on one thing. I don't have hope anymore. He loves us enough to put you in a situation, me in a situation, and give us our best shot at repentance. And you can get mad at him if you want to and miss it, and you can be miserable for the rest of your life. And if you don't repent, you can go to hell. Or you can look up and say, I serve a God that loves me enough to take me through difficulty to make sure that I stay focused on him. Because every time I look around and I think I got this thing, he allows something to happen to remind me that I better be depending on him. So that's what's going on. Death would be a relief to these people. But then the appearance will come next. Look at 7 through 10. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle on their heads with what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair were like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like uh, like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and sting like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. It's in their tails. They have a they have a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek it is Apollyon. So let's talk about 7 through 10. I went on into 11, but let's talk about 7 through 10. We get more details about the appearance of... Um, the word like, meaning it's like this, you look for that. That doesn't mean it actually is that. It's like that. And and John says this 10 times. He says, it's like horses prepared for battle. This means they were warlike. They they were defiant. Think about horses straining, biting at that bit, saying, turn me loose, pawing the ground, ready to charge on their heads that appeared to be crowns like gold. Now, these are the crowns. Remember Stephanus or Stephanoi in the Greek? This is a victor's crown. Okay, that, that's what that means. That means that he's looking at them and says, it's like they're invincible. It's like they've already won. Uh, they're invincible. They're unstoppable. They're all conquering. Nothing mankind has as a weapon will be able to stop them. We can have the greatest military in the world, and this, this, this army of demons, this infestation for demons, will laugh at it. They'll be unstoppable by, unstoppable by anything we got. There'll be no cure for the terrible torment they inflict. Faces like men, this means they're intelligent beings. They're not insects. Their hair's like women. What, what does the Bible say about a woman's hair? It's their glory. It's their beauty. So there's an allure to them. You ever had sin allure you into trouble? <laughs> I just saw about half their hair go, oh, man. Yeah, I have too. It looked pretty good on surface, didn't it? And uh, I know that women have never been used in your life to do anything that was not maybe for your best interest. But again, they're not the problem. We're the problem. Uh, and, And how about this? They will have an allure. They will lure people to their doom. And if you don't believe that, look at the next thing he said. Their teeth were like lions. That means they were fierce, powerful, deadly, ripping, tearing apart their victims. Breastplate of iron. What does this tell us? Well, when they wore breastplates, when they battled, it protected their vital organs. You know what this means? You know what he's saying? It's like that. You can't kill them. We can't kill them. They're impossible to destroy. But for some, they will also be impossible to resist. John, like the prophet Joel in in chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, you can go read that. We're running out of time, so I want to be sure I get this in. So Joel 2, 4 and 5. Joel says he compares the sound of their wings to a moving army. I mean, just picture this. Picture chariots and horses. John says it sounds like chariots and horses moving into battle. Their massive worldwide onslaught will leave nowhere to hide. They are compared again to scorpions with one goal. And what's that goal? To hurt people. It's a full-scale demonic torment drives people to seek death. How will this be done? We don't really know. But we do know this. In Matthew 8, 28, it, it, we 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 see that um, the word here is saying that there will be, that the, the, the maniacs will be so insane because these demons have come out of this abyss where they have been in torment themselves and that has m- worked them into a frenzy of destruction. You know how you, I remember I was told this, what 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 Matthew is saying is my brother has a real bad temper and I was the big brother and he was little. At one time, I you know, he only weighed like 50 pounds and I was already like 130 pounds and you know what? Everybody said, you made your brother mean. You just harassed him and harassed him and made him miserable and you made him mean. Now we're all paying a price. <laughs> and so, What's happened here? Them being in that abyss has only made them more awful. They've come out of here like they're furious, and they're gonna they're gonna take it out on everybody that's left. Jesus met, uh, said that to people being tormented. Remember this? We talk about how they're tormenting people. Look at this throughout Scripture. Jesus in Matthew four, verse twenty three and twenty four. You know, he 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 was dealing with people tormented by demons. The centurion servant. Uh, has had paralysis in Matthew 8, 6, demon-possessed boy throwing himself into fire, into water, self-destructing, Matthew nine twenty twenty two, For five months, you see these individuals being tormented by demons before all this. For five months, they will torment all the unrepented. Again, the limits are set by God, who is in control, but they will do this type of torment nonstop for five months. And then I went into 11, the prince will be unmasked. Look what he says in 11. They they have a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek it is Apollyon. Well, what do these words mean? Uh, what, the, the angel of the bottomless pit, and it gives a name. In, in, in Hebrew and in Greek, they both mean destroyer. These, both these words mean destroyer. It's not Satan. Because his domain is, was never in the abyss; it will be, but it's not now. It's in the heavenly places. Remember, we're told right now that Satan in Ephesians six twelve is the prince and the power of the air. Ephesians two two also talks about this. Now, if you go to the Old Testament, the Hebrew word Abaddon in the Old Testament is a place of eternal punishment. You, you see this in Job twenty six six, Job twenty eight twenty two, Job thirty one twelve, Psalms eighty eight eleven, Proverbs fifteen eleven, and Proverbs twenty seven twenty. So the bottom line is this leader that came out of the abyss, his he goes by the name of destroyer. And this strengthens his connection to the abyss. The Greek goes when uh, uh, Apollyon, the Greek actually means I destroy. He is the leader of the death squad. The first woe And all the description of what it looks like is done. Let's look at verse 12 as we get ready to wrap up. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. John cautions, God's wrath has not run its course. Two woes are still coming. There's nothing between the woes other than a brief sigh Just a momentary sigh. Oh, this woe's over. And John says, you got two more. And they'll be worse than anything you've seen yet. Can you imagine going through this and still being alive, refusing to repent? And there's still more to come. Before even more fearful judgments are to come on those, as Paul describes, in Romans 1.18, see if this sounds familiar to the times you're living in now, of the attitude of human beings as it worsens as we move our way there. Paul is looking, many think, from looking out at Corinth and writing this to Rome. He says that the destruction of God is coming on those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. See, and you think, how in the world can there people not be repenting here? You know, when Jesus talks about hell, what does he say? It's a place of what? Gnashing of teeth? It's a place of tears, of, 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 of crying. And I heard a great commentary on this, and I can't remember who said it. Was it John Phillips? I think it was. You know these these words that Jesus is using. They don't don't just let them go by, because the gnashing of the teeth is describing these people that won't repent. There's those that are weeping and mourning that Jesus talks about. You know who those people are. I deserve this. Oh no, I never repented. I just kept putting it off, and here I am in torment. But that's not the gnashing of the teeth, people. The gnashing, of the, pe- pe- the gnashing of the teeth people still hate God. You know what they say? I don't deserve this. When all this is coming down, instead of them looking to God saying, Oh, Lord God Almighty, I have rebelled against you. I am, I'm full of sin, and I need to repent. They keep looking at him going, This is why I don't like you. They're gnashing their teeth saying, We don't deserve this. You know, that's the attitude of being unrepented, that you think you don't deserve to go to hell. If you have that attitude, I beg you to change it. Every single one of us deserve to go to hell. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God has provided redemption. But there's some people that the thought of redemption, they're so arrogant and they're so prideful. They think that God demanding repentance of them is offensive. How dare you say I need to repent? I'm a pretty good person. Well, that's what they said about Job, too. And when Job finally went through his suffering and stood before a holy God, it said that he despised himself. And he repented in ashes and dust because he looked pretty good compared to other people. But through the suffering, he got God's resume. And he said, before I'd heard of you with my ears, and now I see you with my eyes because of the suffering. I've become so intimately aware and clear of how righteous you are. It's made me also see how unrighteous I am. I look good compared to people, but not compared to you. So I repent in ashes and dust. Are you a gnashing of the teeth person? Maybe it's time for you to mourn and say, Oh, Lord God Almighty, you are holy and I am not. I have rebelled against you, but you have been kind and you have been tender and you have been gracious How dare me delay. I want the redemption you provide. I want to repent of my sins. I'm going to leave my own authority and I'm going to stop worshiping me and I'm going to place my faith in you. And I want to serve you. Will you please forgive me for what I've done? If we're sincere, and only he knows that, and you know that, he will forgive you. And this wrath of God We'll pass you by. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this message. Thank you for us being able to see this clearly. I pray for all who need to repent that we do. If you're out there and you need help, reach out to me, rick at Ministries.com. I'd be honored to help you and walk you into the presence of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you all very much.